just want to extend a personal greeting to Javier and Olga, and so glad you're here. There were a group of, uh, of men who went rec- uh, in recent years, <coughs> Graham and Alex and, and uh, Michael Park, and there was a number of guys who went down and did that, and we put a roof onto uh, Javier's house, and I was pleased to hear this morning the roof's still there. <laughs> it's good to know. Um, so if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It's been a few weeks since we've been in our study of 1 Corinthians, so let me just take a little bit of time to uh, bring us all up to speed as we enter back into to our study. It's, it's good timing because this passage that we will look at this morning actually serves as a transition in Paul's letter. If you want to glance at chapter 7, verse 1, you'll see there that he says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote... And so at that point in the letter, he seems to be specifically addressing things that the Corinthians had written to him that they wanted his input on. But up to this point, he was responding to some firsthand accounts. We know about Chloe and and, uh, apparently others who visited Paul in Ephesus, and they kind of gave a report about how that church in Corinth was doing. And what Paul had learned from those reports is that the Corinthians were kind of playing a religious game. Instead of really living out an authentic Christian life. There was really no visible difference between their lives within the church and the world that surrounded them. There were just as many factions in the church as there were outside of the church. There was immorality in the church just as there was outside of the church. There was greed in the church just as there was outside of the church. So Paul really spends this first part of the letter trying to communicate a clear message to the Corinthian church, telling them, listen, you are a new covenant community in Christ. And how you live should be distinctly different than the world around you. But in some cases, as we have seen up to this point, there were things happening in the church that would have even been a disgrace in the world. We learned about the example of the man who was sexually involved with his stepmother. He said, that doesn't even happen in the world, and you're turning a blind eye to it in the church as if it's no big deal. We learned that they were taking their differences, that they should have been able to settle within the context of the community, built on forgiveness and grace, but instead they were going to the public courts. Remember the Bema seat? That seat out in the middle of the courtyard where the judge sat and all the people gathered so that they could prove their prominence of one man over another. It was like that peacock, remember? Throwing up those feathers and shaking them just to show everybody how much better they are. And Paul looks at those things and he says, that selfish attitude, that idea that I can do what I want to do, I have that right is ultimately what will enslave you. Because in the absence of self-discipline, even your freedoms can enslave you. There's a great scene in Jurassic Park that kind of speaks to this. You may remember it. The uh, scientist Ian Malcolm is sitting down and visiting with uh, the owner of Jurassic Park, John Hammond, and he's criticizing him for using his freedom to bring back the dinosaurs to life. Remember that? And in that conversation, this is what Ian Malcolm says. He says, the problem with the scientific power you're using here is that it didn't require any discipline to attain it. 
You read what others have done, and then you took the next step. You didn't earn knowledge yourselves, and so you don't take any responsibility for it. Instead, what they were doing was taking what others had done before them and then using it for their own selfish gain. (laughs) Science gave them the ability to create this park that they then turned into a business to make money. And then there's that classic line when Ian Malcolm says this. He says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to ask if they should. That's Paul's precise, precisely the same point in our passage this morning. Look at verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any of them. He's basically saying, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Because in the absence of self-discipline, your freedoms will enslave you. And that's why he says, I may have certain freedoms, but I'm very careful not to be mastered by any of them. And then he goes on to give an illustration to make his point. Look at the beginning of verse 13. He says, food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Paul is making the point. He says, look, everybody has an appetite for food, right? Food's important for the human body because it's what strengthens us. It's what keeps us healthy and and strong. And so because of that reason, when God designed the body, he created a stomach to process that food to strengthen our bodies. But yet, we all know we have to be disciplined in our appetite. (laughs) Otherwise, that freedom can work against us, can it? By either eating the wrong thing or too much of the right thing, you begin to see the thing working against you that God had created to work for you. The key here is that God created our bodies with a God-given purpose, fulfilled within a God-given design, and when we operate within that design, it's a good thing. He knew what he was doing, and it is intended to bring blessing and purpose to our lives. But then look at the other half of that verse, because he turns to something outside of the design, and he says, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Paul is looking at this example, and he says immorality is taking a God-given desire, this desire for sexual intimacy, and using it outside of God's design, where it does not fulfill the God-given purpose that it was created for. And like we see in Jurassic Park, when that's happening, all it is is using a gift for selfish gain. It's purely selfish. And also, like we see in Jurassic Park, that compromise can come back to bite you. Maybe even eat you alive and destroy you. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Look at how Paul continues in verse 14. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. 
but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. In this section, Paul is trying to explain the impact of living outside of God's design. In order to do so, he highlights the the spiritual reality of our physical bodies by pointing to our connection with Christ. And let me make this point on the front end. He's talking about sexual immorality here, but I want to tell you up front that the difficulty in in teaching this passage is it's not the main point. He's using it to make a point. I'll describe it to you this way. G.K. Chesterton once said that every man who visits a brothel is ultimately seeking after God. He's trying to fill something in his heart with something that promises pleasure but always leaves him empty. But in that search, he is seeking things that only God can fulfill. Paul wants us to know that there is something important when we talk about this union that we have with Christ through faith in Him and the relationship that that introduces us into. And he's using this issue of sexual immorality to to make a very important point. And I think by the time we're done, we're going to see that point. He explains it similarly when he's talking about this connection that we have with Christ in Romans chapter 6 verse 5 if you want to turn there and as I read this I want you to think about what we talked about in communion this transfer of allegiance where we share the fate of the one that we have chosen to serve okay look for that we share the fate of the one we have chosen to serve and look how that's played out in this passage, chapter 6, verse 5, it says, For if we have become united with him, Jesus, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, we have died with Christ. We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? Do you see how your faith in Christ has connected your life at a most intimate level with His? There is a spiritual union that takes place that impacts every part of who we are as a person. We're not who we once were. That passage that we looked at in 2 Corinthians tells us that. You are a new creation. Old things have gone. New things have come. We're not who we once were. So that when we become united with God through faith in Christ, then we share in His divine purpose. We demonstrate His self-sacrificing love. We are set apart, as that passage told us, as ambassadors for Christ, representing who He is to the world around us. There is a spiritual union through our faith in Christ that sets us apart to live holy eternally significant lives and that's a good thing 
In fact, that's what our heart ultimately longs for most. That's what we're seeking after. That's the only thing that fulfills and satisfies. You see, that heart's desire is only filled when we live in accordance with God's design. That's his point. It's the second part of verse 15 when he says, Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. His point there is, why would I defile the holiness of the relationship that has been made possible with God through faith in Christ by living outside the boundaries of God's design? Think Garden of Eden here. Living outside the boundaries of God's design, trusting that there's something better than what God has promised. Again, I know it seems like that Paul is emphasizing this issue of sexual morality, but he's only using it to make his point. And part of that point is the understanding that sexual immorality is one of the clearest examples of living outside of God's design. Would you agree with that? So that's why Paul brings in this example. The point he's making is this. Sexual immorality is spiritual adultery. You're cheating on God. You're betraying that promise that you've made through faith to belong completely, exclusively, and permanently to Him. And and in doing so, you're forfeiting all the goodness that He's made possible for you inside of that design. See, sexual intimacy is not just an appetite you fill whenever you get hungry. It's not just a physical connection of of two bodies that somehow doesn't make an impact on who they are as people. No, it's just the opposite. By God's design, it changes you. The Bible describes it as he points to. It says the two become one flesh. It alters your emotion. It affects your purpose. It changes your heart. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Anybody guess what this is? This salt shaker. Okay, so there's salt in here. There's a lot of smart, smart people in this room, so somebody tell me what the chemical compound is for salt. Sodium chloride, NaCl. Okay, Courtney, we're going to do an experiment. You ready? This is salt. Just open up your hands. Okay, just take a little bit of that and put it in your mouth. Taste it. You taste it? Okay, I want you to do something for me. I want you to now separate the sodium and chloride from one another. Put one on one side of your mouth and one on the other side of the mouth. Can you do that? You can't do that. In fact, if you did, it'd kill you. Because apart from each other, they are toxic. But together, they are one new compound that is not intended to be separated, which is ultimately the picture of what this one flesh relationship is all about. Not two people. It's transformational into one new compound. You see, Paul is taking that picture of intimacy to help us understand the union that we have with Christ. 
Because when you are joined together with him, you are not the same person. Verse 17 says, you are one spirit with him. Which means it changes every part of who you are. It aligns your desires, your your purpose, your, your heart to be in alignment with his. Like sexual intimacy, it is a transforming union. And that's a good thing. Living within God's design is how we become everything he created us to be. But stepping outside of that design defiles his good and perfect will. One of the things I think Paul is trying to tell us in this passage is that we cannot have intimacy with Christ and yet willingly choose to live outside of his design. It's the whole idea of, of 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, if we say we have fellowship with God, we're in a relationship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, then we lie. We're not practicing what is true. Just like sexual immorality destroys intimacy that is intended for marriage alone, spiritual adultery impacts your relationship with God. Now, here's an important difference. God won't divorce you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is forever and eternally faithful even when we are not. But the relationship cannot be the same because it defiles the holiness that you were created for. Paul continues to make that point with some passion. Look at verse 18. Two words. Flee immorality. Period. I think there actually should be an exclamation point there. (laughs) Because what he's saying there, at least the picture I have in my mind, is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Right? That's the picture I want you to have in your mind. Here you have this beautiful woman. This good-looking man. He's single. She's desperate. It's forbidden, but it's secret. He could get away with it. And in that moment, what did Joseph do? He ran. (laughs) Apparently, she had gotten close enough to embrace him because she was holding his coat as he ran out the door. But, But that's the picture that Paul has in mind here. Run. Don't think. Don't consider. Don't evaluate. Run. And Paul wants us to know that that's the same heart we should have in mind here. Sexual intimacy, if you're a science fiction person, is like in those science fiction movies where they have the tractor beam that once it locks onto its target, it's hard to break free from. They've got you. Well, that's what it's like. Another way to describe it would be a kind of a spark that starts this fire. Ma- Michael Park and I were talking about what's the most difficult fire to fight. And he said uh, probably a, a forest fire where you have dry conditions, high winds. He says, once that thing gets going, you can't stop it. A few years ago, there was one of those fires at Possum Kingdom Lake. And the reason I know that is because my parents had a place at the lake right near where these fires were going on. And before it all happened, uh, you could drive through uh, the, the property where my parents lived. And, th- and they had uh, cypress trees and oak trees. It was beautiful. But if you were to go there today, it looks like a bomb went off. Everything that once stood tall is totally leveled to the ground. What Paul is saying is run from that which has the power 
to do the very same thing in your life. Now look at how he continues. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know, and here's his point, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You see, God created us for certain purposes within his perfect design. Outside of that design, painfully, utterly destructive. Inside of that design, wonderfully transformational. Once again, sexual immorality is not the main point. It's helping us understand the main point. Paul uses this example to to make this point. That the freedom we've been given from something... Ultimately, it gives gives us the freedom to live for something. The freedom we've been given from something gives us a new freedom to live for something. You see, God's commands are not there just to be a list of of do's and don'ts. They're like a signpost to, to something better, something that God created you for. Paul points to our, our bodies as a miraculous work of God, uniquely created in his image, with a capacity for intimacy that engages the heart, the mind, the soul, the strength, every part of our being. Does that sound familiar? How about Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5? You shall love the Lord your God with what? Your heart. What else? Your mind. What else? Your soul, your strength, every part of your being. When you become united with God through faith in Christ, you become one spirit with him. And that's no small thing. In fact, verse 19 tells us how significant it is. It's so significant that he takes up residence in your life. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is an intimate relationship that has the power to transform every part of your being. Now think through this. It has the power to transform your heart. To become more like Christ. To be compassionate. Full of grace and mercy. Forgiving. It has the power to renew your mind. So that your desires are increasingly aligned with his. So ultimately, his divine purpose, get this, the divine purpose of God is able to be filled out and fulfilled in your life. God's purpose fulfilled in your life when your heart's aligned with his. It satisfies your soul. The very deepest longings of your heart are, are ultimately fulfilled in this relationship with Christ. Strengthens your resolve. It's that patient endurance is standing firm like we've been talking about in that spiritual warfare consideration of what it means to stand firm to the very end your freedom from the sin of immorality gives you freedom for intimacy in your relationship with God through faith in Christ and here's the point that's important to remember the two can't coexist they will not coexist 
So don't take the freedom and become willingly enslaved to something God has set you free from. That's like spiritual treason. To be rescued from bondage and then going behind the scenes and working for the enemy that once enslaved you. That's ultimately what's happening. Using God's gift of freedom for a selfish purpose. It is the deception of Satan from the very beginning, and just like it was in the garden, it's intended to destroy you. It's intended to to rob you of the good and perfect things that God has built into his design. Now, if you love cars, this is going to be a painful mental, mental picture for you, so just stick with me. I want you to think 2015 Corvette Z06. Okay? Carrie, what's your favorite color if you had that car? Black. Tuxedo black. Has little diamond sparkles in it. Okay? All right. Get this image in your head. I want you to think of this image of this black Z06 Corvette. Those things are amazing machines, aren't they? They are mechanically designed for a purpose they they're so powerful that's built in within them did you know that that car can go zero to 60 in less than three seconds it's an amazing beautiful car now i want you to now take that car in your mind the one that is beautiful masterful engineering powerful potential and now i want you to imagine driving it on the dirt track of a monster truck rally Okay, so you might think, well, that might be kind of fun until you ultimately destroy that car because that's not what it was made for. It might be fun for a while, but the more you drive, the more that car becomes something different than it was ever created to be to the point that you can't drive it anymore. Those things are only, I think, about that far off the ground. I tell you that because that's the picture that you have in mind when you think about living outside of God's design Verse 20 tells us that you've been bought with a price. You've been set free for something more. You are wonderfully made. You are masterfully engineered. You have a powerful potential for good. That's who you are in Christ. So glorify God with your body by living in accordance with his design. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within you, experiencing the fullness of all that God has created you for. You're beautiful, wonderfully engineered, powerful potential for good when you live in accordance with his design. Now, as we think about this, the the applications, I think, are probably pretty simple. For some, the application this morning is run. You need to run. You need to flee from the sin that so easily entangles you and run to the author and perfecter of your faith. Especially in this realm of sexual sin. Whether that be sexual immorality, homosexuality, adultery, pornography, anything that has a sexual gratification outside the boundaries of God's design within the context of of marriage. You see, inside of marriage, 
it's created with a powerful potential to bond two people together so that they are no longer separate. They are one. Heart, mind, soul, strength. And God can use that to glorify Him and bring about great purposes by bringing along children that you raise up and disciple to become followers of Christ who then go out to become lights in the world. There's a purpose behind it that's good and right and true. But outside of marriage, that same bond still exists. But it can create a powerful addiction that's hard to break. And instead of building up relationship, it will ultimately destroy them. If that's where you are, you need to run. You need to run to God for forgiveness. You need to run to a friend for accountability. You need to run. But don't just run from something. (laughs) You need to be running to something. Because self-discipline alone is not ultimately how you overcome sin in your life. You want to be freed from something to live for something. If you've been created with a capacity for intimacy with Christ, it should transform every part of your being. And so the question is, is that true for you? Is that true for you? Now, I'm going to equip you with some passages this morning. I want you to write these down because they're going to address specific things that I believe in a context like this will represent all of us at some, in some level. Somebody's going to fit in these categories. Everybody will, okay? The first category is this. If you're feeling empty, if something feels like it's missing, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 23. And I want you to read those verses and consider what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, if that is true, Is it possible to have emptiness in your life if you're being filled with the fullness of God? So so spend some time on that passage and see what it means if you're feeling empty to be filled with the fullness of God. Now, some of you are hearing this, and I know that on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis, you face temptations around you that, like that tractor beam, want to pull you away from what you know is good and right and true. So here's your verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And in that passage, you're going to learn how God equips us with the ability to face any temptation with the ability to stand up underneath it because God promises to provide a way out. Every single time, without exception. So spend some time on that passage and learn what it means to stand firm in the midst of temptation by seeing the passage that he has provided for a way out. Here's another one, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. I want you to spend some time there as you think about what it means to be in a hard place but have a good purpose in the end. What it means to to be shaped and, and sharpened by difficulty. Read that passage. Another one is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verses 3 through 5. This is for those who are in a hard place, who need to be reminded of the Father of mercies, the God of all peace, who promises to give you a comfort that nothing in this world will ever be able to match. So if that's where you are, go to that place. One more. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. I've had conversations just this past week with those who feel like they're in a situation where the heaviness and the burden of the difficulty makes them feel weak to the point that they don't know if they can hang in there. This is an important passage because it is the passage where Paul, having encountered whatever this thorn in his flesh was, some thinks it would make, might have been an eye disease or some think it might have been an intestinal disorder. But whatever it was, it wouldn't go away as much as God had asked him to. And so his response to that reality was, when I'm weak is when he is strong. And his power is perfected in my weakness. His grace is sufficient for me. So, so go to that passage and just camp on it and, and see what God might have for you in the situation that you're in. I want you to understand that the main point of this passage this morning wants to speak to the freedom that you have from sin to live in a power through faith in Christ, through that union with Him. You've been set free from something to ultimately live for something, something better, something within God's design that fulfills the goodness that he intends for your life. And that's where he wants you to live. And no matter where you've been, you need to understand that you can go to the throne of grace with confidence to find grace and mercy in a time of need. And if you look back and you're fearful for, to come to that place because you think, if he knows what I've done, he won't accept me, let me remind you, he knows what you've done and he promises to accept you. He wants, as your father, for you to experience the fullness of what he's made possible in his perfect design. And so he's given you an invitation to come and let him show you through those guidance of his word. Again, they're not commands to restrict you. They're signposts to point you to the promises that fulfill you. So go to him with confidence knowing that there's where you find forgiveness and grace, and let him help you understand the goodness of everything he's created you to be, fearfully and wonderfully made. Powerful potential for goodness. Live in that design. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word this morning. And just the promise the reminder, even the evidence of what you've created within us as a part of your design to relate to you, to to uniquely be created, to be in a relationship with you. One where it impacts our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, every part of our being. And when we live within that relationship and understand the beauty of your design, then it fulfills the deepest longings of our heart that nothing else in this world can even come close to. So help us be committed to that decision of trust, full surrender, all in, to experience the goodness of what you've ultimately created us for. 
And may we be faithful to live into that design. Being united with you through faith in Christ to fulfill your purposes in our life and in this world for the praise and glory of your name. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.